Welcome to the LSQ Podcast. Our church began in April of 2017, and our vision is to joyfully live as reflections of God's love together in the city. This podcast will primarily feature sermons from Sunday worship and the occasional bonus content. We hope you'll subscribe. The scripture reading today comes from Ecclesiastes chapter 3, verses 1 through 14. There is a time for everything and a season for every activity under the heavens, a time to be born and a time to die, a time to plant and a time to uproot, a time to kill and a time to heal, a time to tear down and a time to build, a time to weep and a time to laugh, a time to mourn and a time to dance, a time to scatter stones and a time to gather them, a time to embrace, and a time to refrain from embracing, a time to search and a time to give up, a time to keep and a time to throw away, a time to tear and a time to mend, a time to be silent and a time to speak, a time to love and a time to hate, a time for war and a time for peace. What do workers gain from their toil? I have seen the burden God has laid on the human race. He has made everything beautiful in its time. He has also set eternity in the human heart. Yet no one can fathom what God has done from the beginning to the end. I know that there's nothing better for people than to be happy and to do good while they live, that each of them may eat and drink and find satisfaction in all their toil. This is the gift of God. I know that everything God does will endure forever. Nothing can be added to it and nothing taken away from it. God does it so that people will fear him. This is the word of our God. Amen. I have to pull this up because I'm a little taller than CJ. Welcome, everyone, again to Redeemer Lincoln Square. My name is Graham Gerard. Uh, for those of you who don't know me, I serve as a campus minister with RUF International down at NYU. So CJ is in the Bronx. I am down at NYU working exclusively uh, with international students. I also lead worship here uh, quite a bit, so you may have recognized me from that. But would you look at this? They let me preach a sermon. How about that? <laughs> but it is great to be with you today. Would you please join me in prayer uh, before I, I give us our word today? Heavenly Father, we thank you for this morning, and we thank you for the privilege to worship you in your presence. We ask that your word uh, illuminate our hearts and bring us the peace and joy that we can only find in you. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, we still have a few hours left in this year, and 2024 is fast approaching. And as we come to the end of the year, there's often a time of reflection on the year that's passed, and then a look ahead at what the future might hold. Some of us, when we hit the end of the year, if you're like me, we have this sense of panic when we look at what we wanted to do versus what we actually did, and that we resolve on January 1st, again, just a few hours from now, everything is going to change. We're going to make that resolution stick, and we are finally going to get it right this time. For me, around this time of year, I'm often reminded of one of my favorite quotes by the author Annie Dillard that reads this, how you spend your days is how you spend your life. But you know, every resolution that we make involves somehow, in some way, using or attempting to manipulate our time. 
We stop doing some things so that we can start doing others, all in an effort to become that person that we've always wanted to be or to change who we are right now. Yet there is a problem with time that none of us like, that no matter how fast or slow time goes, it does not stop moving. And as simple as that is to say, that has real consequences. Now, you know, normally I was somebody who used to celebrate New Year's Eve rather vigorously, too, in my early 20s, I might add, uh, until a friend of mine said one year, rather sarcastically, who cares? Why are we doing this? It's just another year closer to the end. And well, I have to tell you, that friend of mine really spoiled the party for us that night. But the older I get, the more I realize that that snarky, sarcastic friend of mine was, in fact, correct. Time is moving, friends. It's moving faster every year, and there is nothing that we can do to stop it. And if we look back on the years we've just had, many of us started this year with people in our lives who we love very much, who are sadly no longer with us. And some of us are ending this year with some people, some very tiny, cute little people, like my five-month-old son, who were not here when 2023 began. But think about this for some perspective. Every minute, in this very minute that I am talking to you, 114 people will die and 266 will be born. It is a staggering thing to think about, the amount of joy and sadness around the world in just 60 seconds. We all see and feel this reality. We all feel the pressure of time. And so what we usually try to do is to find a way to deal with this by making these moments last. But how do we deal with something that we have so little control over? How do we take the limited time that we have on this earth and make it count? And is there any point in even trying to do that, trying to organize and manipulate the hours and minutes in our lives? And if so, what might that purpose be? Well, these are important questions to ask because how we view time does in fact tell us a lot about how we view our lives. And so today we're going to look at three things regarding time this morning. We're going to look at the problem of time, the pattern of time, and finally the purpose of time. So it's the problem, the pattern, the purpose, a PPP plan for time. Well, first, the problem with time, and frankly, I've already mentioned several problems with time in my introduction. We can't control it. There's not enough of it. But most importantly, we really don't know how to use the time that we have. And for some of us, we might even wonder if there's any point to this time that we are given. Well, this is exactly what the author of Ecclesiastes is complaining about. For those of you who aren't familiar with the book of Ecclesiastes or maybe haven't read the book in a while, it's not a very happy book. It almost doesn't really fit in the Bible at first glance because it is so dark. But the book of Ecclesiastes is a book where the believer and the atheist, where the saint and the skeptic feel equally at home and equally uncomfortable. And we'll see why in just a moment. The author, most people attribute to King Solomon, who was a wealthy, successful, wise man who had literally seen and done it all. Yet he opens the entire book of Ecclesiastes by saying something profound. He says that everything is meaningless, a chasing after the wind. He asks, what do people actually gain from the toil or the work that they put into this life that, frankly, people won't remember you when you're gone? He says that having wisdom or having intelligence is also meaningless, and in fact, he calls that a burden on mankind. And he even says that the pleasures, the simple enjoyment of the things in this life are also meaningless. Well, this is especially depressing stuff. Solomon is saying that there isn't any point to anything. He has been to the top of every mountain, and he has come up empty. And you know what? This might just be the biggest fear that we have, that no matter what we do or don't do, that our lives will ultimately be meaningless. And if our lives are meaningless, then we would have to find a way with the days that we have to make this life worth living. And so we try to do this in a number of different ways, and here's just a few. What we'd like to do sometimes is rather than looking to our faith or to religion, we like to sort of create our own meaning by mixing and matching the best of what we've heard or whatever we personally think is best at this time. 
This is a major trend in our culture right now, that truth now comes from inside of you and not from the world around you. This is the first generation in human history to think this way. Up until now, meaning always came from um, how you contributed to your family, to your um, faith community, to your community at large. But now we expect those communities to cater to us. And we see this a lot today. How many of you ever heard somebody say, even in the last week, I'm just going to live my truth and do what's best for me? If the culture doesn't agree, who cares? Because no one can tell me what is right or wrong. And so we essentially create a self-made philosophy to maximize our happiness and to somehow make each day bearable. Or we can choose to believe only in what is demonstrably provable. So we put our faith in science, or at least in something that we can see and hold on to in a concrete, intangible way. The spiritual side of things has no place in this way of thinking. I think very interestingly, too, we also look to our political parties or the social issues that we support. And then that becomes the very thing that our happiness or lack thereof rests upon. Or the other approach that we can take is the hedonist approach or the eat, drink, and be merry approach. Because what's the point, right? you might as well indulge and enjoy in everything that this world has to offer because we've all got to go at some point. And so while we resolve that we cannot change time, maybe just maybe we can change how we live. And so whatever belief system that you have this morning, I am willing to bet that at least part of the reason for adopting your way of living is that you want your life to matter. You want to maximize your time and you want to squeeze as much living out of this life as possible. It's not a bad thing. You may also want to leave a lasting legacy behind that people will remember you by, that your family will remember you by. And you probably, if you're like me, want to check every single box off that ever-expanding bucket list. But you see the problem with this, right? What will you do when your self-made philosophy eventually crumbles? When your concrete and tangible hope shows itself to be breakable because it is mortal and finite after all? When you discover that no matter what you do or believe, that living in the present moment doesn't change the fact that the party has to end at some point? And sooner or later, we will, something will happen in our lives that will shake us to our core and make us question everything that we believed in. We cannot will our way into a pain-free life. And sooner or later, we have to face the dark reality that Solomon is talking about. We can have as much fun as we want. We can make our names great. We can make tons of money. We can... But sooner or later, we are going to have to face the truth. And you know, this is the problem that all of us face. And so in the moments between our birth and death, we have to find a way to live appropriately in light of this. And that brings us now to the pattern of time. We have to learn when to do and not do certain things. You know, I think the two regrets that most people have when they near the end of their life is that they wish they either would have done more with their life or they wish they would have done less. And so we need to decide what is the case for us. And so the beginning of Ecclesiastes 3 here, we get this beautiful poem, which many of you probably recognize from the popular song by the birds in the 1960s, Turn, Turn, Turn. Great song by a great band. Definitely listen to it on your way home. But these verses have helped countless people through countless situations from all different backgrounds. You might be interested to know that these very verses are even read at funeral services for many atheists and non-believers. Frankly, they help us get through all seasons of life. They give us inspiration to start a new season, the courage to end a difficult one, the peace that we need when we are stuck in the depths of sorrow. And finally, they remind us that our pain is not unique to us, that we're all sort of in this boat together. But the reality is that as beautiful and as comforting as these words are to us today, uh, from where Solomon is sitting, his seat in history, these words are not positive. They are mildly positive at best. And he is incredibly straightforward. Look what he's saying. He's just simply saying that there is a season for everything. 
And so what we get here in these first set of verses are 14 pairings of opposites that when taken together give us a broad and comprehensive picture of everything that happens in life. Moments in life that are opposites. A time to be born, a time to die, a time to plant, a time to build up, a time to weep, a time to laugh. And the list goes on. And so part of the practical lesson that we have that we naturally do when we look at these events in our lives, we have to look at them and ask how we make the most of our time. For example, there's a time to weep and a time to laugh, right? Weeping is really good. If you don't weep and you don't properly mourn loss in your life, that grief has a way of coming back to haunt you down the road, doesn't it? But if you grieve too much and you just can't get to that next season of your life, that grief overtakes you, and then that becomes deeply unhealthy. There's a time to be silent and a time to speak. I think we've all probably learned that one the hard way, especially husbands in the room. There's a time for us to plant or to plan or plot or strategize our next move. But then there's a time where we have to make good on those plans. We have to execute. We have to reap. And so it is vital for us to know what moment we are in and to find the right balance. And so we have to ask ourselves or ask God if we believe in God, what time is it? What season is it? And friends, that is the dance that all of us, no matter what we believe, will spend the rest of our lives trying to perfect. But is there any real meaning to this? Because this passage can and does help us and comfort us. If you notice something, Solomon is not offering us a time management course. He's not making any prescriptions on how we manage or structure our time. Again, he's just saying that there is a season for everything. You know, as one writer says, this poem reveals the great absurdity of life because if you think about it, each activity cancels the other one out. There are 14 pluses and there are 14 minuses, and I almost failed math in high school, but I can tell you that 14 minus 14 equals zero. And if we were still feeling optimistic about this, this um, poem, Solomon reminds us again in the next verse. He says, he has seen the burden that God has laid on the human race. But then he says something incredibly hopeful. This is a really important verse, so listen to this. He says, God has made everything beautiful in its time. He has also set eternity in the human heart. No one can fathom what God has done from beginning to end. This statement from Solomon's perspective, again, it's not a positive one. Look what he's saying here. He's saying on the one hand that God has a reason for everything that he's doing. That's good, right? Then he says that there's a purpose for everything that we're doing. That's also good. But while we might have this sense, Solomon is saying that none of us can fathom what it is. God knows and sees it all, but he simply won't tell us. And so I think the big problem that we have here is we struggle with the pattern of time because we don't have a good grasp on our purpose. And so Solomon here resolves to basically say at the end of our text that we should strive to be happy and do good and find satisfaction in our work and enjoy the gifts that we get in this life because they are, in fact, gifts from God. Now, there's debate about if Solomon really was as upset and depressed as he seems in the, in the book of Ecclesiastes or if maybe he's just playing devil's advocate to make a larger point to his audience. But either way, Solomon's resolution, the way he resolves the great problems of our lives, is deeply unsatisfying. And to me, it feels more like a bronze medal or a consolation prize. I mean, after all, knowing that there is a time for suffering and pain does not make going through that pain any easier. And so let me speak to anyone in the room right now who is struggling with depression or feeling lost or vulnerable or just don't know where they're going to go next. If you feel sad and uncertain, and you have tried to use your time well and live the best you can, but you still feel lost... If you have, cannot find the happiness in this life that you are looking for, if you have tried it all and you have tried to fill that hole in your heart and everything seems to fit like a square peg in a round hole, 
then maybe the reason that you can't find your happiness or purpose is because the ultimate happiness, the ultimate purpose of your life, the way that you were designed to live, is actually something different altogether. We expect the world to be something that it is not. And that is a big part of our problem. At Redeemer Lincoln Square, we value questions and the people who ask them, which is why we hold a time of question and response, or Q&R, after worship on Sundays. It's an opportunity for anyone to text in questions and then process responses alongside our pastoral team and other members of our church community. If you have a question, feel free to email us at lsq at redeemer.com or join us at Q&R on a Sunday morning. And now, back to this week's sermon. Okay, but let's look at this from a Christian perspective, because after all, we are in a Christian church here today. Um, Sometimes when Christians read a passage like this, in light of what we believe about Jesus Christ, it is absolutely remarkable. Because look, we know so much more than King Solomon does at the time of writing this. Solomon is missing a huge piece of the puzzle. And look, this very cruel way of the world is the very reason that many of us look for something else to give us hope. Because we don't want to believe that this life is all there is. Solomon says that God has written eternity on our hearts, and even if you don't believe in God this morning, you must have at least once in your life had the thought in your head that maybe, just maybe, there is something more to it all. Because if this cursed world is all there is, if there is no God, if we are just human beings who are here by random accident, then all of our actions in this life are, as Solomon says, futile. There's no right or wrong. There's no need to care about what you look like or to have a moral framework. There's no reason to treat anyone with any sort of compassion. None of it matters. Every good thing in this world and every bad thing in this world will amount to absolutely nothing. But look, Solomon says something remarkable. We have to go all the way back to verse 1 to catch this. And and you might have just missed it because it happens so quick and it's, it's just remarkable. Listen to this. Up until now, all of the misery that Solomon was talking about in those first two chapters, he says all of these horrible things are happening under the sun. Under the sun means living on earth, things that are happening on earth. And let me tell you, living under the sun is pretty awful. And the idea of it here is each generation goes through history. They are stuck in a repetitive quest for personal greatness, going through each season for no real purpose. And the only end to it is, unfortunately, our own demise. But now Solomon says here in verse 1 of chapter 3, he says, there is a purpose not to things under the sun anymore, but under heaven. And this is not a simple word choice that is synonymous with sun or sky. It is intentional and it changes everything. He is lifting the lid on earth and including heaven, and he believes that there is a purpose, even though he can't see the full picture yet. So let's presuppose that there is a God, that we are not living in an under-the-sun world, but living under heaven. Maybe there is some sort of purpose to things. If there is a God, we can believe one of two things about him. He's either a God who cares about you or a God who doesn't. Now, if he doesn't care about you, you are left with the same feeling as the atheist. Maybe even worse, because God would essentially be playing a game of chess or solitaire with himself, and your entire life would just simply be a pawn in his game. But if there is a God who cares about you, who created you and does want to be involved with you, then there has to be a reason for your life. If God exists and he created everything in this world, then he cares about you and he cares about you in every season, good or bad. Now, I know what you're going to ask me here. How do we accept that if God exists, that even our bad or challenging seasons have a purpose? Why would God do this to us? This is the number one objection I get to belief in God at NYU, and it's probably similar for CJ as well. Why would a good God let bad things happen to the people that he supposedly cares about? Well, unfortunately, I really wish I could give you that answer, but I don't have the answer as to why bad things happen. 
Uh, and if you are going through something this morning, I am truly sorry, and I do ask that you please reach out to somebody here at this church, because this church is here to help you through whatever is going on. And I don't mean to sound dismissive at all, but I believe that if we live in a world where God exists, that there has to be a purpose to things. And I can also tell you this with great certainty, that the God of the Bible cares about you a great deal. He cares so much that he was willing to enter human history to show you this. And he did this by humiliating himself and subjecting himself to all of the human suffering on this earth, in part so that you can relate to him better. There is nothing about your suffering that Jesus Christ does not understand firsthand. He is not a God who hides in the shadows or lives in a faraway place because Jesus Christ has broken the barrier, the separation between you and God, and he is now with you in every season of your life. And so that frustration of not knowing God's plan that Solomon struggled with, we don't have that problem on this side of the cross. And we can now live out the true purpose of our life in light of his grace. That is how much the Christian God cares. And if Christianity is true, if God became flesh and lived the life that you should have lived and died the death that you deserve, then maybe he cares about you more than you could ever imagine. And if that is true, then that gives your life on this earth infinite value and purpose. Nothing in your life is by accident. Life is most certainly not a chasing after the wind. For everything that we go through is a pathway to him. So look, maybe you, don't, you try and you don't get to achieve exactly what you want in this life. Maybe you don't get the dream job or the dream girl or boy. Maybe you suffer something far, far worse than that. All these things are going to hurt. But if you believe in Jesus Christ and what he did for you on the cross, they can hurt you, but they can't kill you. Now look, for anyone in the room today who's not a Christian, let me let you in on a little secret about us Christians. We love Romans 8. If you go up to a Christian and say Romans 8, they're going to get all excited inside and they're going to start quoting to you verses 28 to 32 verbatim. And I think with really, really good reason. Because Christians do absolutely believe that God works all things together for the good of those who love him and are called according to his purpose. But look what Paul, the author of Romans, says here. He says, his purpose, not ours. Our lives are meaningless if we are living according to our purposes, if we are living under the sun. But when we live according to God's purposes, when we ask God to bend our will to be his and not his will to be ours, everything has the potential to change. But Paul also assures us of another thing. He says when he means all things, he means all things. He means that Christians too will experience suffering, loss, hurt, betrayal, and all kinds of other pain, trials, and tribulations. And you know, maybe that's hard for you to deal with today. Maybe you're, you're coming back to the faith or you're exploring Christianity and you're listening to what I'm saying and you're saying, you know what, that's not what I signed up for. But look, if Jesus Christ lived the perfect life and died and suffered the way that he did in the most painful and humiliating fashion, then why on earth would we expect our lives to be free from suffering? But even Jesus' suffering had a purpose too and he knew that each moment in his life was for a reason. Look, we spend a lot of time trying to use our time well. But we forgot that Jesus Christ used his time perfectly so we don't have to. We try so hard to make our lives count to achieve some dream or status, and it kills us when we can't get there. Yet Jesus came to not only achieve for us what we could not do for ourselves, but to make us the benefactors and give us his record of perfection and beauty. The God of the universe sees you with all your flaws as perfect and righteous. There is no glory on this earth that can be better than that. And that is what is waiting for you when you become a Christian. And so now everything that we go through as Christians, God uses all of these things, good and bad, to conform us into his image. And look, I know that some of you are grieving right now. 
that grief that you feel in your heart, that emptiness, that confusion, the heartache, the sense of failure. I can't take that pain away. But because of Jesus Christ, I can tell you that I believe it is not for nothing and it will ultimately be for your good and for his glory. You know, as one writer put it, he says the problem we have is that we're in the baby stage with God. We're in the why stage. It's every toddler's favorite word, right? Why, why, why? Why, God, did you allow me to get fired? Why, God, did this relationship end? Why, God, did you take this person from me? Well, if there is no God, there can be no hope, and we don't have a right to ask that question. But if Jesus Christ is who he said he is, then we can go to him and ask him, and I think he will eventually show us why, and the Bible backs me up on that. Our problem is, is that we are we're too close to our lives to see the big plan, but that doesn't mean you can't trust God now. He has us. As one pastor put it, he says he has your pain that seems like a jagged piece of glass, but once you can step back and see the stained glass window of your life, you will see that it is absolutely gorgeous. So yes, it hurts, but yes, God has you, and yes, you can trust him. And let's test this out. Maybe you've had an experience like this. Most of us would say that going through adversity and suffering have made us stronger and brought us to where we are today in our lives, that maybe we couldn't even be the people that we are today without having gone through those moments. This is how a Christian can get through any season and how a passage like this, written in a much darker context, can bring us joy today. All the toil and the enjoyment of the things in this world, friends, after all the laughing and crying and sowing and reaping, no matter how peaceful or painful life ends for us as Christians, we know that when we breathe our last breath, we will immediately open our eyes and we will be face to face with our Lord Jesus. And if that is your truth, you can face anything. A world that is not under the sun but under heaven means that this life is not the end. And in the meantime, God wants to use all of the moments, all of the ups and downs, all of the seasons in our lives to grow closer to him, to enjoy him, to experience the comfort and joy that can be found only through a relationship with him. And look, now we know what is meant by verse 11 in our text. We know now that God has, in fact, made everything beautiful in its time. We understand that when Solomon said God has written eternity in our hearts, he was talking about Jesus. He had this sense of what God was going to do, but he couldn't put his finger on it. We don't have that problem today. And because of Jesus Christ, we now can, in fact, fathom what God has done from beginning to end. Friends, if you remember nothing else from what I say today, please remember this, that Jesus Christ will absolutely take the pain, the confusion, the hopelessness, the indescribable grief that you are experiencing right now, and he will one day make it beautiful. And that is why a passage like this gives us hope. God isn't going to waste one minute, one hour, one triumph or disaster, one tear of joy or sadness that falls from your eye. And so the question I have for you today is this. Are you able to trust God enough to live your life this way? Can you live not overly obsessed with your current situation, but with a sense of eternity written on your heart, with the hope and promise of Jesus Christ as your guide? Can you trust God in whatever season that you are in to navigate you through? God will guide us and he will show us when to laugh and when to cry, when to sow and when to reap, when it's time to mourn and when it's time to dance. And look, friends, if we look for peace in anything this world has to offer under the sun, our hearts will be restless like Solomon's and our hearts will remain restless until we learn to rest in him. And we can find our rest in him because he is the one working out the ultimate plan to make all things new, including us. And so, friends, if you are in a season of pain right now, try going to Jesus You've been hurt and betrayed, so is he. You are grieving and suffering, Jesus has been there too. 
And he is there right now as we speak to listen to you, to comfort you, to instruct you, to grieve with you. And when you don't have the strength to pray, the Bible says that God will, Jesus will pray for you on his behalf. How about that? And so, friends, in closing, whatever 2024 brings you, whatever season you find yourself in over these next 12 months, please know that God will be with you through it all. That's literally what we celebrate when we celebrate Christmas. God is with us. And so in closing, friends, as this new year starts, if things are hard, I hope you can take comfort in the truth that your story isn't over. And if things are great, then hey, enjoy that too. Praise God for that. My hope is that you will all drink deeply from life as a gift from God. Enjoy every sandwich. Have a drink tonight. Celebrate. Eat the darn cookie. But also go to the gym. Hit the snooze button, but don't be late for work. And while you're at work, give it your all while you're there. Cuddle your children. Spend time with your spouse, but take time for yourself too. Work to improve, but let today be enough. And let who you are right now be enough as well, knowing that you are not defined by what you do with your time, but what Jesus Christ did with his. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for this word, and we thank you that you have made and you will make everything beautiful in its time. And you know, Lord, it's so hard when we're in painful seasons to see that you are there, and when we have great moments, we want to think that it was, it was our work all along. Give us the knowledge of your presence in our joyful and challenging seasons and let us rest on the work that you did for us. We pray that no matter what we are facing, that we remember your son's perfect use of his time and let that bring us peace and comfort this week and this year ahead. We pray all these things in your name. Amen. Thanks for listening to our podcast. We pray that it's a helpful resource as you process aspects of Christianity and grow in your faith. To learn more about our church, including details about Sunday worship, check out our website at RedeemerLSQ.com.